Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. This is the uh, third of a series on kingdom relationships. I appreciate the, the people who've been sharing their testimony this month. Paul, thank you. Just wonderful to see Jesus pursuing us. Uh, just to review quickly, we start off on uh, Matthew 18 on kingdom relationships built on a foundation of love, but Matthew 18 tells us that kingdom relationships are about humility, acceptance, honor, and forgiveness. We talked about that. If you missed that, you can find that online. I don't want to preach the whole thing again. And then last week, we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.16, that we know no one after the flesh. It's not the natural, but there's something that happens when we get born again that our spirit now connects with God. And he can speak what he sees about us. So we actually are a new creation, but we can actually approach each other with that same understanding that Steve is a new creation. And the Holy Spirit says, not what I see on the outside, but what he says is his purpose and plan. And so it's a whole different way of looking at each other. The Bible says that uh, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so too often, if we're not careful, then all we see is the outward. I grew this week. Philippians chapter 2. So the, the third of the series, and this will be the end, I think, for right now anyway. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, or any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship or participation of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind or humility, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not look out let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, which is love. Let this mind or attitude be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation or emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of man. That's an amazing expression. It says, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. For us, the term grasp means often we're reaching for something we can't reach. In the Greek, it actually means something to be held onto tight. He wasn't grasping to be equal with God. He was equal with God, but he didn't hang on to that. He emptied himself and become a man so that we could be redeemed. That's the attitude that we're to have. Have this attitude which Christ had. Emptying ourselves. Emptying ourselves of what? Pride. Humility is the opposite. So we choose humility, which says... I esteem others as better than myself. That's totally contrary to the world because the world says you have to see how great I am 
Remember we started in Matthew 18, the disciples asked Jesus, who's greatest? There's a comparison. The world has this comparison thing, and how do I stack up next to Johan? And the kingdom says just the opposite. We recognize I don't stack up next to Johan because I esteem him higher. Empty myself of pride, but also of selfishness. Selfish ambition, which is the opposite of love. How do we empty ourselves of selfishness? We choose love. Love is a choice for someone else's highest. The opposite of love is a choice for my own highest, which is selfishness. Selfish ambition. I choose me and forget about you. So we're to empty ourselves. That's where it starts. Now hang on to that for a little bit, and we're going to go a little bit different direction and come back. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. I want to talk about the pureness of the gospel. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't earn the love of God. Isn't that wonderful? That means we can't unearn it either. <laughs> Galatians chapter 1, from verse 6, Paul writing this says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have Receive, let him be accursed. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, he says, if someone distorts, perverts the gospel and preaches anything else, let him be accursed. And just in case you didn't hear that, let me say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. And then in chapter 3, from verse 2, it says this. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? This is, doesn't sound very nice. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? The pure gospel. We're saved by grace and not works. We know that. Do we deserve to be saved? Never. Can we make ourselves more acceptable to God? Never. Bottom line is this. The pure gospel is not adding anything to the gospel. That's religion. Either before someone comes to Jesus or after. B, 
before we sometimes say, ah, make yourself better, clean yourself up. And then you can come to Jesus. Jesus says, no. You can't do that because you can't earn it. Or after. How often have we heard someone comes to Jesus and we say, now you've got to change your behavior. You've got to start acting like a Christian. Christianity is not behavior. It's a relationship with God. You still with me? How in the world can we start adding to the gospel? Happens all the time. Let me tell you, it's simply because we get focused on externals. Paul was talking about circumcision, which was an external sign that people were Jewish. And he was saying it's not about the externals, it's about the heart. But we don't focus so much on circumcision, but we focus on behavior. You can start acting like a Christian, whatever that means. Christians don't smoke. I don't know where that came from, but I was raised in a fundamental church, and that was one of the things they said. As soon as you got saved, you had to quit smoking. That's not in the Bible. A friend of mine was from Los Angeles. A guy got saved in his church, and uh, he was from a gang background, which is a lot of gangs in L.A., and he got saved, and he had these sleeve-length tattoos. And everyone rejoiced, and after they rejoiced that as he was leaving, the pastor shook his hand and said to him, next week, wear long sleeves. Focusing on externals. Perverted the gospel. Because all of a sudden we're saying it's how you act that determines. When we get focused on externals, we become religious behavior police, which we talked about last week or the week before. I forget when. Somewhere there. I want to ask you is it the fruit or the root? See, seeing externals, behavior, is like seeing the fruit on a tree. Mary has a lemon tree in our yard, and this thing produces lots of lemons, and some of you get them once in a while. Uh, it just produces lots of lemons. It's a lemon tree. It does that. Uh, what would you think, though, if I went out there and I said, okay, I don't like this lemon tree. I'm going to pull all the lemons off of it, take all the fruit off, and say, ha, now it's not a lemon tree. There's no lemons. It's just going to grow more, right? Just because I take the fruit off the tree doesn't change the tree. The only way to change the tree is to deal with the root. When we look at behavior, we're just looking at fruit. Why do you act that way? Stop acting like that. Let's take the fruit off. We try religious rules and regulations and you have to act this way and you have to do this and you can't do that. Jesus is concerned about the root, the heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he begins to transform us. He deals with the root. 
not just the fruit. See, something happens. When you deal with the root, eventually there's just no more fruit. That was, that was really heavy. I know some of you are thinking. If you deal with the root, eventually there's no more fruit. But if you try to deal with the fruit, there always will be more. God lovingly, graciously deals with the fruit. But let me add to that. We don't have to change anyone. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he knows what route to deal with that we don't, and he knows what order to deal with them. We see an outward behavior, and we say, that's the problem, and the Holy Spirit says, no, that's really not the problem. That's the fruit. But there's two other roots I need to deal with before we get to that. And we get in there and mess everything up. Don't you know you have to act like this? If you come to our church, <laughs> not here, but uh, you've heard that somewhere. Okay, now, having said that, I hope you got that. Let me give you the, uh, the legal disclaimer. You know, the, the fine print at the bottom. Let me give you the warning. My warning is this. Don't be manipulated by lies. How does that fit in? I'll tell you just now. There is a lie of our culture. And the lie of our culture is this. If you love me, you will agree with me and approve and condone my choices. That's a lie. And if you don't agree with me, you're a hater or phobic. You know what phobic actually means? It means fear. Islamophobic means that someone has a fear of Islam. Sometimes people use terms like that, all the phobic things, and they have no idea what it means. You know, just because I disagree with someone doesn't mean I'm afraid of them. Love is choosing someone else's highest, not necessarily agreeing with them. What if they're wrong? See, but the culture we live in tries to change the definition and the meaning of words like love. If you love me, you will agree with me. Mary and I have been married almost 42 years now. And we're, and we're wonderfully in love. And she thinks I always agree with her. But you know what? When I don't agree with her, I still love her. The truth is that I can love someone and not agree with them or approve or condone their choices. Culture says you can't because they define love by agreeing with me. And as soon as you don't agree with me, I hate you. You're a hater, so that gives me a right to hate you because I defined you as a hater. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Throughout history... It was considered a virtue to stop someone from hurting themselves. If you ran and knocked someone from in front of a bus that was going to run them over, that was considered a virtue. Right? You're saving them from being hurt. 
How dare you? You didn't ask their permission. Stopping someone from jumping off a bridge and committing suicide throughout history has been considered a virtue. Now, if I really believe that someone who is out of relationship with Jesus will spend eternity separate from him, love requires me to pursue them and let them know. That's love. Oh, how dare you tell me that I might spend eternity separate from God? Of course I do, I tell, I, because I love you. I forget the philosopher, I think it was Bertrand Russell who, was a, who said that if I believed what you say about hell, I would crawl across England on my knees to reach one person. Yeah, culture says, how dare you tell me I'm going to hell? What right do you have? Because we've redefined love as you have to agree with me. That's the lie of the culture. Hang with me, I'm just setting you up. There's a lie of the church as well. And the lie of the church is if you don't condemn someone's sinful choices, then you are approving or condoning their sin. Think about that. There is this thing. How can you not condemn that? Let me read you a couple of scriptures. Starting with John chapter 8. And verse 10, you already have it there because you're quicker than I am. I should just sort of rather read the uh, scriptures off the back. This is a story of they bringing the uh, woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And uh, the law required her to be stoned. And they wanted to see what he would do. And you know the story. Jesus said, he's without sin. Throw the first stone. Verse 10, and when Jesus had raised himself, he then wrote in the ground and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The scripture Paul read John 3, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save. You with me? Yeah. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Yet the lie says, if I don't condemn someone's choices, then I'm condoning or approving. And so what happens is that someone comes in and gets saved, and we immediately look at their outside their behavior, their actions, and we start bringing condemnation. You've got to stop that. You've got to, you've got to quit that. You've got to start doing this. And, you've got, and we're heaping condemnation on someone that Jesus doesn't. The bottom line is this. We can trust the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. 
to transform people. That's not our job. Maybe you've experienced people trying to transform you. Or maybe you've been part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Mary and I led a church in Victoria, uh, in, in uh, Melbourne, and we had a young couple come to the church and they got saved. And uh, we didn't realize that they were not married. They were living together, but they weren't married because they had the same last name. And we just, but we found out later and we had a couple of people just up in arms, oh, we gotta tell them that they've gotta, gotta move out and they can't live together. And we just said, look, let's just pray for them. Let the Holy Spirit deal with them. Two weeks later, maybe three, they came to us and said, you know what, we actually think we should get married. We felt like God, God would, would be pleased if we get married. Not because the church said or because Russ said, but because the Holy Spirit said. Something happened in heart. Why am I sharing this? We're talking about kingdom relationships, but I want you to understand. We want to create a loving environment as a church for everyone. Everyone is worthy of being loved. Not because of our actions, but because we're made in the image of God. For people who haven't met Jesus yet, we want to create a loving environment. We're not going to shy away from the gospel. You only come to God through Jesus. But how can people ever get to that point if we start telling them they have to change and they have to be different? When we all know that we couldn't change ourselves. For new believers, someone comes to Jesus and we need to create a loving environment for the Holy Spirit to transform. It's not our job to change them. In fact, it's just the opposite. Now, why am I sharing this? Because this is something, it doesn't matter what I do. It matters what every single one of us does. I can be loving and accepting of someone who comes in, who's slowly being transformed, and all it takes is one person to say, wow, that's not very Christian. And all of a sudden, the devil comes in, and they say, well, maybe I didn't get saved. Or their focus gets turned away from what God's done inside and his love to external behavior. Let me tell you, external behavior doesn't make someone a Christian. Going to church doesn't make someone a Christian. It's only knowing Jesus. Not only people who haven't met Jesus yet, new believers, but people coming into a life of freedom. The church is made up of all kinds of people. People who've just gotten saved, friend of mine in uh, South Africa refers to it like this. He says, some, some people just got saved are like newborns. And newborns just, they need a lot of help. Okay, they, they, they're newborn and so everyone's excited. And, but you don't, you're not that worried if they make a mess. Because they're newborns. But then some of us are a little bit older and we're kind of like teenagers. Teenagers are all about their rights, all about their freedom, 
But then some of us get more mature. We're like adults. Adults are the ones who say, hey, we can accept people. As soon as we're worried about someone making a mess because they haven't actually got transformed yet and we think we should step in, we become part of the problem and not part of the solution. I need to, to tell them how they need to behave differently. That's not our responsibility. We can trust the great physician to deal with the roots in people's lives. In his timing. And as he sees fit. He transforms people. We just love them. Let me say that again. He transforms people. We just love them. We don't have to change them. Jesus does. Why is this important? We're involved in the... uh, the body-soul thing, and there's a whole lot of people that God is touching. Uh, Some of them are on a journey to coming to know Jesus. They haven't got there yet. Some of them might actually respond to Jesus, but they've got a whole lot of stuff that he'll have to deal with eventually. But if they come here, we want an environment where they're loved. Not an environment that says, oh, you've come to church now. Now you have to do this and this and this. Right? That's a beautiful church that Jesus is building. A place of love. A place of acceptance. Not based on our actions, but based on the fact that we're created in the image of God. If you're here this morning and you haven't met Jesus yet, you're very welcome. And we would love to be part of that journey. But coming to this church isn't what saves you. It's coming to God through Jesus. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. We can't change that. You only come to the Father through him. If you're at the place where you're ready to meet him, we'd love to introduce you. But if you've come to Jesus recently, and God's at work, making some adjustments in your life. We love you. And we want to pray for you. And we accept you. We don't want to lift up a list of rules that says, now you have to act like this. We don't, most of us don't act like that anyway. (laughs) Whatever that list is, we haven't got there yet. But if you're coming to a place of freedom, What God has spoken to us is a lot of people who've been burnt, dry bones that he's breathing life into. And we have grace for you to be restored by the Spirit in his time. I hope that's your heart. Because that's the culture that we want to have in a church that's focused on Jesus, but we actually trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. Where you stand? Well, that was fast. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head so you're not distracted for a moment. I'm keenly aware that when we leave, the concerns of the day and lunch and family and everything can come in and can actually squeeze out 
the truth of the word. And we need to take a moment and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Is there adjustment that I need to make? Is there healing that I need? Have I tried to come to Jesus based on my works and I can make myself better or have I just, as Paul said, just say I surrender? Let me encourage you. You can't make yourself better, but if you'll just surrender, he can transform your life. I'm going to ask Brian and Cindy, will you give me a hand? Would you just step up here? If you'd like to know Jesus when we're dismissed, just come to these guys. They'd love to introduce you to them. Ask them because they're very smiley, loving people. (laughs) As are Richard and Kathy, who I asked to do this last week, but I don't want it to get... Richard's got his shoes on, so he he can't be Jesus this week. (laughs) If you would like to meet Jesus, they would love to, uh, to pray with you, introduce him. If you need someone to just uh, pray with you, maybe you need some healing. Maybe you've had religious rules put on you, and you need some freedom. Maybe you've actually been part of putting that on other people, and you just need to acknowledge that and be free. Maybe you're here, and God's wanting to breathe life again. There's a dryness in you. You know Jesus, but there's no real life, and he would like to breathe life. There'd be some people here who'd love to pray with you. Lord, we just thank you. We stand amazed at your incredible love. We recognize how you've pursued us, how you've put people in our lives, how people were praying for us, as Paul was sharing, how people had an impact. As Greg shared a couple weeks ago, one song in Sunday school. The one time he went, you used to do something in his life. And so we just say, Holy Spirit, we stand humbled and amazed. Your grace is so amazing, so great. And we ask that you would not only fill us, that we could extend that love and grace to a hurting world. Lord, we want to be a place, an environment where love reigns. Not the love the world says, that we have to agree with people to love them. We agree with you and your truth. But people's sin never stopped you from loving them. People's messed up lives never stopped you from loving them. And Lord, we want that to be the culture and the epitome of this church. In Jesus' name, amen.